And our text this morning, as we hear from the living God in his word, is Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31. End of our text last week, the Apostle Paul said, I am perplexed about you. I am perplexed about you, Galatians, my little children. You have the Bibles there. Look there in Galatians 4, verse 19. My little children, Paul writes, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, verse 21, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Literally, do you not hear the law? Now that's a rhetorical question, which means that we can restate it, not as a question, but as a statement. Galatians, you who desire to be under the law, you who are ready on the edge of embracing circumcision in order to be more faithful to Scripture, according to what the agitators from Jerusalem are teaching, you fail to grasp the heart of the law's teaching. You fail to grasp the heart of the law's teaching. Now, don't let the significance of that statement pass you by. We've been in Galatians a long time, and I'm hoping that this much is clear by now, but here it is again. Paul wants the Galatian readers to see that his gospel is the gospel. And never has there been another one. Never has there been any other. Galatians, if you can hear it, it's there. It's in the law itself. It's what the law itself teaches. And indeed, we've, we've been there, haven't we? Again and again, we've turned to the Old Testament scriptures in our work through Galatians, showing how the law, and in fact, how the Psalms, and how the prophets too, and in fact, how all of the Bible speaks with a unified voice. One people, one covenant, one God, as we said a few weeks ago and tried to unpack. Brothers and sisters, it matters immensely to me as your pastor that you understand the Bible. Not just that you're acquainted with it, though I hope you are. Not just that you've read it, though I hope you have or will, and not even just that you've read books about it or listened to years' worth of sermons about it or taken Bible courses, though that's all good, assuming that the books and the sermons and the courses are good, but what I want for you is something deeper than that. I want you to understand it, meaning I want you to listen to it. I want you to hear it in the biblical sense because you know what happens when you hear it? You live it out. It changes you. You live in accordance with its 
message. That's, that's how you know when you've heard it. And ultimately, that's precisely what Paul wants, right? We looked at that last week. Christ formed in you, he says. I'm in anguish again until Christ is formed in you. And Paul knows that the way to get there is to go back again, is to help the Galatians hear the law. Hear the Bible. Listen to what it says. Again, it's not for the first time he's done this in this letter, is it? So I'll just say this very short thing, and then we'll move through this text as best we can. I, Galatians 4, 21 to 31 is no preacher's envy, right? But we'll move through this text the best we can. But first, let me say, there's a reason that we spend the kind of time we do working through the biblical text that we do in the way that we do here, Sunday after Sunday. There's a reason my sermons are what someone said to me the other week. They said, basically, they're just passionate exegesis. That's what you're doing in your sermons. And it's true. It's because I'm 100% convinced that we have to listen to the Bible. We have to listen to the Bible. We have to hear it. We have to understand it to know the Lord, to live the life of faith, to inherit the blessings, to walk by the Spirit that Paul's going to move here in chapter 5 in this very direction. So it's very intentional. So number one, I think number one for me every Sunday is that we leave this place understanding the Bible a little better than we did when we came Or at least, if you're already at the understanding level, at least you're re-exposed to it, re-energized in your commitment to it. We are here now in Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31. And actually, you can relax a little bit if you've been part of Galatians thus far, because there's not a lot that's new conceptually in verses 21 to 31 of Galatians 4. If you've been tracking with this letter so far, you'll find you've already heard a lot of the points that Paul makes in these verses. But there is a lot that's different in this text in terms of how Paul presents the argument that he makes. And some of you are visiting here this morning, and a lot of this may strike you as somewhat new. So we're looking at verses 22 now. I've already said something about 21. 22 to 31, three parts, very simple. Verses 22 and 23 are Paul's presentation of Scripture, a particular storyline of Scripture, the data of Scripture, 22 and 23. Then 24 to 27 are his interpretation of it. And then verses 28 to 31 to finish out are the application that he has for the Galatians. So it's just a good sermon, right? Present the information, interpret the information, apply it. I mean, this is what Paul's doing for them. The problem is, it's not so simple a content as it might be in structure. So we have some work to do. First, then, the, the presentation here of the, of the scriptures. Verses 22 and 23, you know that Paul's going back to the scriptural accounts because he starts verse 22 by saying, For it is written... The surprising thing is he doesn't then go into a direct quote, as is typically his pattern. Instead, he summarizes a storyline found in Genesis 16 and 17, that Abraham had two sons, Paul says, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. 
But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. That's Paul summarizing content that we find in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis 16 and 17. It's not too surprising he goes back there, back into the Abrahamic narrative. But it is a little surprising that the focus isn't on Abraham this time. The focus is on two of Abraham's sons and their mothers. So if you'd like to, you can flip in your Bibles back to the first book, Genesis, if you want, or you can just listen. But we'll go back and begin looking at Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. We've covered parts of this in another sermon a couple months ago, but worth going back. Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. At this point in the story, Abraham is discouraged because he and his wife Sarah have no children. They have no heir. There's no heir to fulfill the promises that the Lord had made to Abraham of becoming a great nation. He made these promises back in chapter 12 after he called him out of the land. And here we are, chapter 15, verse 2. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Verse 4, the Lord says, This man, meaning Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. That is, heir to the promises that he had made to Abraham. The Lord had made to Abraham. Turns out, however, that doesn't happen very quickly. We don't know how long it is, but it must have been a while, because in verse 1 of chapter 16... We read, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So you remember what happens? <laughs> We're on the roller coaster of faith here, and Abraham and Sarah weaken in faith. And the promise isn't coming, and it seems like God maybe is not going to deliver on this, so they come up with a plan, their own plan. And they use their own resources just to try and help the Lord out, bring about what he's promised, right? So what happens? Sarah gives Abraham Hagar, her handmaid. The ESV says the female Egyptian servant. There in chapter 16, in the Greek translation of this text, in the, what's called the Septuagint, it translates it, Paul would have been reading in this Greek, translates it as the slave woman, which is precisely where Paul's getting his slave terminology uh, in our text. The point is, Sarah, Abraham's wife, gives Hagar, the slave woman, to Abraham so that she, Hagar, can bear him a son. Because, I mean, after all, it'd still be Abraham's son, right? Yeah. And in Genesis 16, verse 15, it says, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. That's son number one. Ishmael, born to Hagar, the slave woman. So, when in Galatians 4, verse 23, in our text today, says that 
Ishmael, though it doesn't use the name, Ishmael was born according to the flesh. What that means is it was all human initiative that brought it about, right? There's no faith in this. Abraham ceased to rely on the Lord's power to fulfill his word and instead relied on himself to get a son, right? It was according to the flesh. It was a negative thing. There's no faith in it. So then, 14 years later in Genesis, I mean, Ishmael grows 14 years. God hasn't given up. So God says to Abraham, Sarah will indeed bear a son. So now you could go, if you want, to Genesis 17. Chapter 16, Ishmael's born. It's not a good thing. Chapter 17, verse 17 of chapter 17. The Lord has said, Sarah will have a son. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed <laughs> and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? You see where Abraham's at at this point? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I mean, come on, Lord, I've already got a son. <laughs> God said, No. No, but Sarah, your wife, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Hold on to that everlasting covenant, one covenant all through the Bible, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. We're going to have to talk about what offspring means. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, Abraham. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes. I will make him into a great nation. But, put a pin here, but, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, not Ishmael, with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And then if you want, you can go to Genesis 21. There's a lot that happens then between 17 and 21. 21 verse 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah, here's the key phrase, as he had promised. And Isaac was born. That's son number two, Isaac. Born to Sarah, who's called a free woman by Paul, in contrast to Hagar. We'll talk about why she's free. And so when verse 23 of our text in, in Galatians 4 says, Isaac was born through promise. Do you see the point now? This was of the Lord. This was of the Lord. This was God supernaturally intervening in fulfillment of his own promise. And Abraham and Sarah had to trust him for that. 
And we talked about it when we considered the faith of Abraham, right? Because what's the point? What does he and Sarah here now learn from all of this again? And they show they learn it in chapter 22 when they're willing to sacrifice Isaac. Unbelievably. What is he supposed to learn? That they have to trust in the promises of God for the future. They have to trust in the promises of God for the future in response to who he's been for them in the past. I.e., they have to have faith. They have to have faith. Isaac is the child of promise. Now we move then to, in Galatians 4, now to verses 24 to 26, where Paul then proceeds, after outlining this, you know, he just, he just is referring to that whole storyline that I summarized for you. Now he proceeds then to give his quote-unquote interpretation of that data. Now this, he says, verse 24, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. <laughs> well, we could get seriously bogged down here if we wanted to, but I don't want to, so just track with me, and I'll try and best I can guide, guide through this. Verse 24, the ESV says, translates it, this may be interpreted allegorically. Now, here's all I think we need to see about this. Paul sees in these events from Genesis something more than their quote-unquote literal meaning, by which I mean Paul would not suggest that the Genesis narrative itself contained these references to Jerusalem or Mount Sinai or, or any of that. It's not that Paul's saying, you know, the, the author of this text in Genesis was explicitly meaning Jerusalem or Mount Sinai or the people of it, but he would say, I think, Paul would say that the truth that's implied in the stories about Hagar and, and Sarah is the same truth that we see then carry through in what happens at Sinai and continues to happen in the people of Israel in the present Jerusalem, Paul says, and what happens on the other side in those who are the remnant, in those who inherit the promises, in those who have faith. In other words, Paul can use these two stories to speak to later events and indeed whole trajectories in the Bible. Now, technically then, Though the ESV is not wrong to translate it as allegorically, the Greek is allegumenos or something like that. What Paul's engaging in here is more typology than allegory, I think, technically, at least as we tend to mean the word allegory. You know, if you know the word allegory, usually you think it means that there's some kind of secondary reference going on so that, you know, the text says this, but really what it means is this, right? It doesn't actually, the text says these words, but those words actually mean something else. That's not what Paul's doing, if that's your understanding of allegory. 
He's not saying that the Genesis text means something it doesn't mean. It's more, I think, that he's going back and seeing how what started, what started with Isaac and Ishmael does in fact correspond to the whole history of the people of Israel, right? Both those who don't have faith and those who do have faith. That's the point. These women are two covenants. Well, they weren't. They weren't then. I mean, the Sinai covenant didn't even exist yet. What Paul's saying is that the experiences of Hagar Ishmael and Sarah Isaac would in fact map onto the whole history just as the Lord said it would. Remember, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, not Ishmael. So that right from the beginning, what do we find true in the Old Testament? Well, what Paul says in Romans 9, that, quote, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Where does that start? <laughs> Ishmael and Isaac, right at the beginning. And what exactly is the point of contrast? I've already said it, but what exactly is the point of contrast between them or between the lines that they then represent? This is critical. In part because it's not that there's some great ethnic divide or something, as is sometimes suggested here that, that defines this. The contrast is the distinction between being outside and inside the covenant people of God. Obviously, that's what the Lord said to Abraham. I'll establish my covenant with Isaac, not Ishmael. Being outside and inside the covenant people of God in accordance with the promise to Abraham. But here's the key. We've already seen in Galatians, there's only one thing. There's only one thing that determines whether you or anybody is outside or inside of the covenant. Right? What is it? It's faith. It's faith. It's the hearing of faith. It's whether or not you have the hearing of faith. That's where Paul's been at since chapter 3 with these Galatians. goes all the way back to Abraham. And what's the hearing of faith always connected to in Galatians? The Spirit. The Spirit. Yeah. Okay, I didn't say this in the ninth. Here's, this is always bonus content for the people at 11, right? It's always got to be some bonus for you coming at 11. You notice how in Paul, in, in Galatians 4, he talks about Isaac being born through promise, he says in verse 23, right? But then look down at verse 29. We'll come to 29, but I just want you to know one thing about it. At that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, right? Persecuted him who was born. He doesn't say according to the promise. He says according to the Spirit. Do you see that? The connections, the Spirit. You have the promises of Abraham. The inheritance of the covenant comes because you have the Spirit. Always. It's always that way. All through the Bible. One way of relating to God. Okay, that was the bonus content for the 11 o'clock service. Hagar 
giving birth to Ishmael is according to the flesh, Paul says. There's no faith involved in how that came about. And so Ishmael then stands as the symbol of those who are outside of the covenant all through the history. But now lock in here. You know what the shocking thing is? You know what the real shocker is? It's that that group of people who are outside the covenant ends up including the majority of the people of Israel all through her history. Which is a big deal to point out if you're tracking because Israel is the name given to Jacob, right? If you know Genesis, Israel is the name given to Jacob, who is the son of Isaac. And then Jacob has 12 sons who become the heads of the 12 tribes. You see the point? When Paul says, once from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, and that's Hagar, who are the children he's talking about? Well, he's talking about Israel under the Sinai covenant, and they're the physical descendants of Isaac. What's the point? The point is that ethnicities got nothing to do with it. And doing the works of the law has got nothing to do with it. Because all of them were circumcised. Right? And yet Paul says, they're children of slavery. I mean, this is the heart of Galatians. This is the heart of Galatians. It's all about the hearing of faith. This is not new. Paul's been talking about this a lot. That Israel on the whole was under the curse of the law, under sin, under the elementary principles of the world, all that language he's used. Their hearts were hard. They're spiritual children of Ishmael, though they're physical descendants of Isaac. Hebrews 4 verse 2 says, For good news came to us just as to them, that is the Israelites, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Faith. Oh, Galatians, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Are you, in fact, just like the children of Hagar? Which includes the majority of Israel all through history and shockingly, even up to today, Paul says. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? This is new in Galatians. It's an incredible thing that Paul says in verse 25. She, this is Hagar, corresponds to the present Jerusalem. <laughs> because Paul's saying essentially, for most of the people of Israel, nothing's changed. curse of the law isn't over. In spite of Christ having come, 
to redeem Israel. You know this, you read the Gospels, Jesus does it over and over. Where does Paul go? Every town he goes to in Acts first, the synagogue. Goes to the Jews. Why? It's their Messiah. They reject him. On the whole, why? They're still in exile. They're still under the curse of the law. Most of them are anyway, just as most of them have been in history. But not all of them. Just never been all of them. It's certainly not all of them now. Here's Paul, Jew of Jews, <laughs> right? I mean, you read his credentials. Here's Paul. Many other Jews with him. We know there were Jews that were converted early on in Acts. And it's not, it's not that all Jews went the other way. There's always the remnant through Israel's history who had the hearing of faith. But that's the point. It's all about having the hearing of faith. So yes, two covenants. Paul says these women are two covenants. But there's only one true covenant reality all the way through. The Sinai covenant is the other covenant, but it's not. It's given because of transgressions, Paul says. It's only ever one way to the blessings of Abraham, the kingdom of God and its faith. Verse 26, but Paul says the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. Paul writes, our mother. Jew and Gentile alike, free. Now, Paul's moving to this concept of freedom in chapter 5, and we'll be there next week. We'll talk more about that. But I think Paul talks about the Jerusalem above. He, he's, he's, he's contrasting it to the Jerusalem presently, meaning the one in Israel, the one with the temple, the one that's meant to be the dwelling place of God, and it isn't. I'm talking about the Jerusalem above the true dwelling place of God. A good parallel would be Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, if you want to jot it down. Colossians 3, 1 to 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. I've been crucified with Christ, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Same parallel concept. Friends, you know what this all boils down to? Whether or not you're tracking with me, you're like, no, you're right. Galatians 4 is not. Lots of places in the Bible talk about what it means to have Abraham as your father. Jesus talks about that. Here's Paul saying, you're part of the covenant people of God by faith. If you trust the cross of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you live your life by faith in the power of the Spirit, then yes, Abraham's your father, but you know what else is true? Sarah's your mother. Sarah's your mother. We don't see that as often in the Bible, do we? It's there one or two times. Why? Because Sarah was free. Because Sarah was able, though she failed <laughs> at times, Abraham failed too. Sarah was able and willing to trust God for the promise. And God did his supernatural work to bring about Isaac. 
And so what then does Paul say now in verse 28? We're in the final section here, the application. Verse 28. Now you brothers like Isaac, like Isaac, are children of promise. Think about that statement for a second. If you're like Isaac, then your birth came about supernaturally by God fulfilling his promises? True. Galatians, and I'm not even talking about your physical birth in this case. I'm talking about your spiritual birth. God brought about your birth, Galatians. Your spiritual birth, your life in the covenant isn't by your initiative. It isn't by works of the law. It's by the work of God in you, in your heart. As the Lord fulfills in you, Galatians, his promise to make for himself a people. It's the same promise to make for himself a people and put his spirit within them and write his law on their hearts. This is the new covenant. We've talked about these texts a dozen times. You're part of it, Galatians. You're part of it. It's incredible. It's not ultimately surprising, biblically speaking. I skipped verse 27. I'm sorry to do that, but I've got no time to develop it. Verse 27 is Paul trying to explain how the Jerusalem from above is our mother. He quotes Isaiah 54 verse 1 basically to say this. It's always promised that this would happen. It was always promised that this would happen. Even when Israel's in exile in Babylon, which is what the back part of Isaiah is all about, the hope was there. The children of the desolate one, echoes of Sarah, the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. You're the children, Galatians. This is the point Paul's making. It's a point he's been making for a long time, but here it is again. Even as most of Israel wasn't, you see, and isn't, in fact, now. They're still hardened of heart. And in particular, these agitators from Jerusalem, right? Because what's Paul's final application for the Galatians here? Verse 29, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, Isaac, what's Paul talking about? Well, He's gone back to Genesis 21, verses 8 and 9, where it says that Isaac grew. This is 14 years after Ishmael was born. Then Isaac grows, so it's another stretch of time. And there's this great feast that Abraham throws on the day when Isaac is weaned. Verse 9 of Genesis 21, But Sarah, on this great day of celebrating, saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, Ishmael, who's older now, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. That's Genesis 21, verse 9. Laughing, teasing, mocking, making sport of Isaac. Paul's saying there's always been, there's always been animosity between the children of the flesh and the children of the spirit. So also it is now, Paul says. So also it is now. Now, we could apply that to our own context in various ways, lots of ways, maybe in your own life. But don't miss what Paul's saying to the Galatians, right? Those agitators from Jerusalem, 
You know what they are, really? The children of the flesh. They're spiritual descendants of Ishmael. And what happened to Ishmael? Verse 30 of Galatians 4. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. That's Genesis chapter 21, verse 10. That's speaking about Hagar and Ishmael, and Paul now takes it and makes it a command to the Galatians. Cast them out. Cast them out. They're not heirs of God. Galatians, you are. They don't have the spirit, Galatians, you do. They won't inherit the blessings of God, Galatians, you will, if you live out what the law itself teaches by the spirit as children of the promise. That's where chapter five's going. Oh, we could usefully meditate on what it is that we need to cast out. Children of the flesh. So verse 31 says it all then, and it says it for us too, right? So brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That's you. That's you, Christian. Your heart's been changed. The law has been written inside of you. The spirit lives in you. You are free. As Paul will say next week in chapter 5, and we'll expand on that. Or you could say it all one other way. You've been born again, Galatians. You've been born again. Now, that's not how Paul puts it here. But it is how Jesus puts it when he makes the same point. So let me close now by reading a text that that I think is likely a bit more familiar to at least some of you than Galatians 4 might be, though I hadn't thought of this text in connection to Galatians 4 until uh, John, Father John, who was with us in the first service, pointed this out to me this week at our pastoral meeting. And he said, what about John 3? I said, John 3, what's John 3? (laughs) John 3, Jesus speaking with Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, it says. And just listen to this, or you can turn there, but just listen. Picking up in verse 3 of John 3, Jesus answers Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, which I think is the same as the cross plus the spirit, but I can't defend that for you now. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then watch this. Jesus speaking That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Then you can jump to verse 9. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Just look into Jesus' answer. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? I mean, isn't that the same thing as Paul saying, Galatians, do you not listen to the law? Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. You're not born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It was true for the Galatians. It's true for you and me. Dear friends, I urge you this morning, listen to Paul. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the law. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.